Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with the fighting between Israel and Hamas. Israel is trying to maintain international support for its aim to destroy the Palestinian militant group. But global leaders continue to express concern about civilian lives. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had a 50-minute call yesterday with Russian President Vladimir Putin. He criticized Israel for the humanitarian cost in Gaza, while Netanyahu went after Russia over its cooperation with Iran. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says he is also urging Israel to do more to protect Palestinian civilians. There's a gap between the intent and the, re- and the results, and that's the gap that we're trying to make sure is closed. Look, this could be over tomorrow. This could be over tomorrow if Hamas got out of the way of civilians instead of hiding behind them. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke on ABC's This Week, heard Sundays on Bloomberg Radio. The Hamas-run health ministry says nearly 18,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza. It does not differentiate between civilian and combatant deaths. Well, back at home, Nathan, President Biden's facing a waning support for his stance on Israel from within his own party. A new poll from CBS News and YouGov shows 38 percent of Democrats think the president has shown too much support for Israel's war with Hamas. That's up from 28 percent in October. Progressive Senator Bernie Sanders says the White House faces a tough balancing act. What the president is trying to do is trying to make clear to Netanyahu and his right wing extreme extremist government is yes, you can go to war against Hamas, but you cannot go to war against the Palestinian people and cause the horrific uh, damage to human life that we are seeing right now. Senator Bernie Sanders made the comments on Face the Nation from CBS, which you can hear every Sunday on Bloomberg Radio. Meanwhile, Karen, top-tier universities remain under intense scrutiny for their responses to anti-Semitism on their campuses. University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill announced her resignation on Saturday after her testimony last week to Congress, in which she and the presidents of Harvard and MIT struggled to say directly that calling for the genocide of Jews violates school harassment policies. McGill will remain at Penn's Law School as tenured faculty. Harvard's president has apologized for her testimony, while MIT says it is currently standing by its president. Well, Nathan, turning to the world's other major conflict in Ukraine, President Vladimir Zelensky will visit Washington tomorrow. He'll meet with President Biden and congressional leaders to push for continued support for his country's fight against Russia. But on Capitol Hill, there remains a big gap in talks over funding for both Ukraine and Israel. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter joins us with those details. The sticking point has been and still is aid for closing the U.S. southern border. Lead Democrat negotiator Chris Murphy on NBC, as heard on Bloomberg, says dangerous. Vladimir Putin is delighting right now in Republicans' insistence that we get a deal on immigration reform. And if we don't, then they are going to allow Vladimir Putin to march into Ukraine and perhaps into Europe. I think this is one of the most dangerous moments that I've ever faced in American politics. Murphy says they are still in the room trying, but it is difficult. Meanwhile, the White House says it has found a way to send some tank supplies to Israel. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. 
Okay, Ed, thanks. We're also following politics in New York City, where former President Donald Trump says he will not testify in his civil fraud trial today. This is a reversal for Trump. He'd earlier said he would testify a second time in the case that accuses the Trump organization of inflating asset values to get better loan terms. Well, Nathan, to markets now and a big week for the economy. We get the November Consumer Price Index tomorrow. Producer Price Index comes out on Wednesday. And it comes as the final Fed meeting of the year gets underway. We'll hear from Fed Chair Jerome Powell on Wednesday as well. And former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers says it could be a while before Powell signals he's cutting rates. The moment they turn or announce they're going to turn is going to be a seismic moment. And for that reason, they probably need to be very deliberative and careful about getting to that point and waiting until they see some overwhelming evidence of inflation being locked in low or see some real evidence of the economy turning over. Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers was speaking on Bloomberg's Wall Street Week, which you can hear every Friday evening on Bloomberg Radio and Television. In corporate news, Macy's says it has received a $5.8 billion buyout offer from Arkhouse Management and Brigade Capital Management. It's a bet the retailer can execute its turnaround better as a private firm. Sources say investors offered $21 a share for the department store giant. Macy's shares have fallen 16% this year. We also have economic news in Japan, Nathan. Bloomberg News is reporting the Bank of Japan sees little need to end its monetary policy of negative interest rates. Sources say officials have yet to see enough evidence of wage growth to support sustainable inflation. It contradicts the market's recent view that the BOJ could scrap negative rates this month. And in sports news, sources say a Fenway Sports Group consortium was chosen to enter into final negotiations to be a co-investor in the entity that's being formed by the PGA Tour and Saudi Arabia. Arabia's public investment fund. PGA Tour Policy Board unanimously decided to work with Strategic Sports Group, which includes New York Mets owner Steve Cohen's family office and billionaire Mark Lazary. Over the weekend, Saudi Arabia signed one of the world's top golfers, John Rahm, to its Live Golf League. Now, let's get a check of what else is happening in the world. For that, we turn to Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Nathan. Restrictions are in place. More precautions are being taken because of the stormy weather moving through the Northeast region. Empty tractor trailers and tandem trucks on MTA bridges and tunnels are scheduled to be banned on MTA bridges and tunnels until 6 this morning. Governor Hochul is warning residents to stay alert, saying that in some areas, the rain is changing to wet, heavy snow. Now, that stormy weather also moved through the southern United States over the weekend, creating powerful tornadoes and causing a lot of damage. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee says charities are already stepping in, and he's asking the federal government for help. We also, of course, have begun the formal process um, of emergency declaration and of pursuing um, relief through through that federal government. Six people died. At least three dozen were hurt in those tornadoes that touched down in Tennessee. In a new court filing... Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton says a mother of two should be forced to carry her baby to term even after doctors say there are severe risks involved. Paxton won a temporary restraining order against Kate Cox, stopping her from carrying out her abortion after doctors said her 20-week fetus has a severe abnormality and no chance of survival. Jonathan Stone is a special counsel for the Texas Attorney General. Plaintiffs have not shown that they will suffer an immediate and irreparable injury. Both sides of the debate rallied this weekend outside the 
the Texas Supreme Court, protester Karen Bergman expressed her main concern. Government control of reproduction always tortures women. And we can't have it. They're hoping the state Supreme Court issues its final ruling soon. As the Israel-Hamas war drags on, protesters around the world continue to call for a permanent ceasefire. In New York City, pro-Palestinian protesters stormed the Brooklyn Bridge Saturday night, temporarily shutting the Manhattan-bound side down. All part of the flood Brooklyn for Palestine protest. Demonstrator Amal Khalim. The point is everybody, any mother, any mother in this world will ask season to cease fire because kids, babies, babies are killed. The U.N. Secretary General warned of a historic and catastrophic humanitarian crisis in Gaza without a ceasefire. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. I'm Amy Morris and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Amy, thank you. You know, you can get much more of Bloomberg News right from your dashboard if you download the new version of the Bloomberg Business app because it's now equipped with um, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. You get access to every Bloomberg News podcast, including headlines at the click of a button with Bloomberg News Now, live audio feeds from Bloomberg Radio, print stories in audio form from Bloomberg News. All you have to do is uh, head over to the Apple App Store or Google Play, get the Bloomberg Business app updated, connect your phone to your car, and get started. The new Bloomberg Business app is presented by our sponsor, Interactive Brokers. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John Stashow. Good morning, Nathan. It was a stunning second-half performance by the Jets. In the rain at MetLife, Jets and Texans combined for 11 first-half punts and no points. And then suddenly the Jets, who in their five-game losing streak had scored only 45 points total, put up 30. Three touchdowns, three field goals. They beat Houston 30-6. to Zach Wilson was on fire. 27 of 36, 300 yards. His coach is Rob Sala. I thought Zach probably played the best game of his career. Just the off-schedule stuff, uh, the timing and rhythm, and getting the ball out to where it needed to get to, being aggressive but but smart at the same time. Scrambled. I know he had the, the scramble, but just the the aggressiveness, the scramble, and the I mean, he was out there having a good time. And I think there was a report that Wilson, who had been benched two weeks prior, didn't want to play. Big AFC game in Kansas City. Buffalo won 20 to 17. The Chiefs, for a moment, appeared to have gone ahead with a minute left on what would have been the NFL's player. Play of the year, a Travis Kelsey catch, run, and lateral throw to Kadarius Tony, but Tony had lined up offside. Last night, Dallas won easily over Philadelphia, 33 to 13. Both teams 10 and 3, tied for first. Game of the day was in Baltimore. Rams and Ravens, seven lead changes. The Ravens won in overtime on a 76-yard punt returned by Tylen Wallace, who before yesterday had never returned a punt. Jonathan Quick, LA Kings goalie for 16 years, won two Stanley Cups. Now the Rangers back up. He beat his old team at the Garden. Rangers won 4-1. Devils lost 4-1 in Edmonton. LeBron James was there recording the moment when his son Bronny made his debut for USC five months after he suffered cardiac arrest. John Stashower, Bloomberg Sports. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. 
our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com, this is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. Israel's war with Hamas is turning into a fight to maintain international support as much as it is about defeating the militant group in Gaza. The U.S. just defeated a U.N. Security Council resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire. But the latest polling in this country shows President Biden's support for Israel's fight may be turning into even more of a political liability for the president from within his own party. And for more on all this, we're joined by Bloomberg News Senior Editor Bill Fair. Uh, Bill, it's good to speak with you this morning. We are more than two months into this war. Israel seems uh, relentless uh, in its determination to defeat Hamas, but that is creating this uh, international pushback now. Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, the uh, as you mentioned, the U.S. Uh, vetoed this uh, resolution at the United Nations that was going to call for uh, an immediate ceasefire. The amazing or remarkable thing about it was the U.S. was the only country uh, on that council to uh, vote against it. And it's this is not, you know, loaded with uh, opponents of the United States. You've got you've got France and you've got the UK, you've got countries like Japan and uh, and even Ghana on there. So it's uh, I think at this point it, it's the U.S. Uh, and Israel that look uh, increasingly isolated internationally as this continues. The U.S. saying it's really Israel has to uh, has to run this war uh, on its own terms and go after Hamas. Uh, the U.S. has obviously expressed a lot of frustration about the civilian death toll, and that's uh, driving a lot of the international frustration. But I don't think they, uh, the U.S., the Biden administration, is interested in uh, really cutting Israel off on its own and, uh, and, and demanding that ceasefire along with the rest of the international community. But it's something that uh, is going to potentially hit President Biden as he heads into an election year. 
I mean, that is just a remarkable statement on its own to say that the U.S. and Israel are being viewed as increasingly isolated on the global stage. And you have to wonder whether that support that the president has continued to show for Israel is going to be able to be maintained when we have the kind of polling that we've seen uh, from just this past weekend from CBS News and YouGov that uh, Democratic opposition to the president's stance in regard to Israel is growing. Right. You kind of wonder what the tipping point might be. Um, but, uh, you know, what we, uh, a, rem- a remarkable comment we got from uh, Anthony Blinken as well uh, over the weekend was that he doesn't see some of the precautions that he's argued for in terms of uh, pro- protecting civilians being carried out. Uh, so there's definitely been a lot of uh, warning shots sent to Israel from the U.S., but uh, they are sticking, the the Biden administration is sticking with Israel for now, uh, but heading into 2024, I think uh, the, the monetary costs of uh, sustaining U.S. support and uh, obviously the costs on the battlefield, both uh, on the Israeli side and the Palestinian side, will uh, only continue to add up. So what are you going to be looking for next, Bill, uh, when it comes to how this war is is playing out? Uh, I mean, from, from some of the latest reporting we're seeing, uh, the conflict is is really spread out across the Gaza Strip at this point. Right. I think, uh, you know, I think you we're still looking for signs that uh, at some point, could there be a second uh, temporary ceasefire that allows more hostages to be freed? Uh, I think that's something both sides at, at some point in the last, you know, in, in the recent week or two have talked about. But it doesn't sound like what we're hearing from uh, the mediators in Qatar that that's uh, they're making much progress on that. But that's certainly I think, you know, Israelis have uh, have said they would really like to see all those hostages return. So there's always a chance I think you could have a breakthrough there. Uh, and then I think you're going to you're going to keep watching this uh, this death toll. We do get there are questions about the, the total death toll in, in Gaza, but uh, they are the numbers we have um, as that continues to rise. Uh, will there be you know, will fr- public frustration hit a tipping point where more direct uh, warnings are raised with Israel about uh, how long they can prolong this conflict? I wonder whether the uh, debate around support for Ukraine, which has already gotten more complicated, is going to come into a greater focus now when we're expecting the president of Ukraine uh, to be in person in Washington tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's a high stakes trip for uh, President Zelensky coming to Washington to meet with President Biden and to meet with congressional leaders. Uh, He plans to address the entire Senate. Uh, I think it's it's hard to imagine a lot of people changing their minds at this point um, as they run up against this issue about uh, spending for Ukraine and policies at the border. Uh, something is going to have to give there uh, potentially by Friday or Saturday this week if the White, White House wants to see any of that funding approved and if uh, and if they want and if Republicans want to uh, some of whom support Ukraine uh, want to go home for the holiday break, having done more to secure the border. Okay, Bill, thanks for this, as always. Bill Ferry, senior editor for Bloomberg News, with us this morning. Karen. Well, Nathan, we turn now from geopolitics to a focus on artificial intelligence. And Bloomberg's Tom McKenzie got a chance to catch up with ARM CEO Renee Haas. The pair spoke about the company's future and the generative AI revolution and how Haas's role has changed since ARM's public listing. 
We've been public now uh, for a few months. Yeah. So I would say I feel like the eyes are upon me a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, than they were prior. But on the other hand, I, I try to think about it in terms of um, the future of ARM is really not measured in what we are today. It's what we're going to be in, in a few years. And how do you balance the demands of investors in the company now, those new investors and the legacy investors, and of course, Masayoshi Son, SoftBank being being the big force, gravitational force. How do you, how do you balance those, those demands? So ARM is really a company that is hard to look at quarter to quarter because the, the technology we're working on today is really technology that's going to end up in products three years from now, four years from now. So while the financial results are important, mm. They're really the results of strategies we put in place a number of years ago, which were quite successful. So what we try to do is just make sure that the investors understand that while the, the near-term results are very important, it's really also important to really think about the long-term and where we're going directionally. Look, ARM was set up in the 1990s. You've been the building blocks of our digital globe, digital world, digital economy since then. And now we're at this point where we're focused on generative AI, and that is reshaping this digital ecosystem that we that we now live in or that we will be living on. What role do you see ARM playing in that transformed digital space in the years ahead? Yeah, so ARM in the 30 plus years has just been foundational to computing in a way that no other computer architecture before it, and I dare say after it, uh, has been. 70% uh, of the world's population touches ARM today in some way. Uh, we were well known for uh, smartphones. Uh, and before that, non-smartphones, feature phones, if you mm -hmm. will. The ARM of today is, is not only much more diversified around, as I mentioned before, data centers, automotive, IoT, but now as AI and AI workloads are finding their way into every single application, whether it's your thermostat or your data center, ARM will be there. So I think for us in the upcoming years and decades, ARM will be foundational to everything going on with AI. So you can assure investors that you will remain, you're essential right now to this digital world that we live in. You will be essential in that generative AI reshaped world in the years ahead. You will continue to play that essential role. You can't role. run AI without ARM. Mm. It's foundational. Mm. And AI is going to find its way into every single electronics device that we use. Again, whether it's the smallest device in your home or the largest data center that sits out in the, uh, out in the wild. Every AI executive that I speak to, whether it's DeepMind or Cohere or Inflection or others, say the scramble for compute is front and center, along with the fight for talent. How do you see that fight for compute going forward? I do think for the next number of years, we are going to see a increasing demand for more and more compute. Now, I think it's also going to drive is a high degree of need for power efficiency because these data centers require hundreds of watts, megawatts, up to the gigawatts of type of energy. We don't produce that much energy uh, as, a, as a planet. Uh, we are having limitations relative to fossil fuels, limitations to sustainable. So a rush to get to power efficiency around these compute models is going to be very, very significant. That's great for ARM because mm -hmm. the DNA of our company is around power efficiency. I want to go back to 2017. You diversified the business. You broke out these four different divisions, mm -hmm. IoT, cloud, infrastructure, autonomous vehicles. Why did you see that as necessary? Previous to 2017, we would design a mobile processor and then really attempt to squeeze it or peanut butter it, if you will, into the server space or into the automotive space or into different areas of IoT. 
it just wasn't sufficient. And we had a lot of questions early on. Well, why isn't, what's taking ARM so long to be successful in the servers? Uh, many different reasons contributed to that. But one of them was, candidly, we just didn't have the right products. And we were able to create Neoverse. We were able to add custom extensions, things like confidential compute that are necessary for building high-grade data centers. We could put those in the products. And now with Neoverse, we have a world-class competitive entry that you're seeing the benefits of it, whether it's the Microsoft Cobalt or, or AWS. We had to do that in 2017 because mm. uh, it was clear that these other markets were demanding it and the software ecosystem needed to be able to support it. What, what kind of revenue mix would you need to see to kind of declare a success in that diversification push? I'm going to declare some modicum of success now. Uh, we were over 60% revenue in smartphones, maybe even higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, prior to this change, uh, smartphones now, while a very large market for us, are about 40% uh, and declining. And our largest growth in terms of revenue are coming from these new markets, as I mentioned, cloud and, uh, and automotive. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.